Welcome to a Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. I'm Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you've joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. Sarah Missoni is still out. We're sending her healing vibes uh, next week. Hopefully she'll be back and we'll do our fancy food show recap and she can tell you all about her um taking the team there and what happened. And we're going to tell you guys about our top three favorite things, but that will have to be next week. This week, we have a special guest in the studio today. We have Tracy Hildner. Tracy's the owner of Lucky Larder. She makes custom small batch fruit and vegetable preservation services in Portland, Oregon. Hello, Tracy. Hi. Thanks I'm for so, having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here today. I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your name. Did I say it right? Nailed it. No, <laughs> okay. <that's> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, I even have at the top of my paper to like practice with the guests first, but I just went right into it. So I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I got it right. Well, um, we like to have listeners follow along with you. So you can you tell them your Instagram and the best way to find you online? Yeah, so um, my website is luckylarder.com and my Instagram handles, I have two actually. Um, The primary one right now is luckylarderpdx. I also have a kitchen culture PDX. Cool. We um, will make sure to tag both of those and um, help people to find you. Kitchen culture. I don't think I have that one yet, so I'll write it down so that we can include it. Uh, And let's talk about uh, the word larder. What does that mean for our guests that maybe don't know? Yeah. So larder is basically another term for pantry as how it's used these days. Um, The term is more common in the southern United States or in England. We don't say larder so much up here in the Northwest, but um, some more people here are familiar with the word pantry, but I'm a huge fan of alliteration and Lucky Larder was an appealing uh, idea for me. Oh, yeah, it's a great name. I think it's the perfect name for your business. Um, We always like to talk about why people called their business the thing that they call it. And I think it fits perfect for you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Uh, And when did you start Lucky Larder? Um, I believe it was early 2015 that I started. Cool. And so before you started it, so your your business is really uh, preservation and um, preserving influence. So did you start preserving before you started your business? I did. Um, I started preserving in, gosh, it must have been around 2000, um, 2001, actually, because my husband and I bought our first house there uh, in 2001. And 
it was the first time I was able to have a garden and um, I put stuff in the ground and it just grew and I had food and I didn't hardly know what to do with myself. I was so excited. And so the next year I put in a much bigger garden and then I couldn't deal with the food quickly. <laughs> you know, I couldn't give it away. I couldn't eat any more than I was already eating. Um, and so uh, I started looking into learning how to can and ferment and things like that. Um, learn how to, I bought a dehydrator. Um, so that's, that's when I first started exploring it. Um, and then somewhere along the way, I want to say 2012 or 2013, I'd have to actually look it up, but I went through the um, Oregon State University's uh, Master Food Preserver training program. So um, in Clackamas County, because there's not one any longer in Multnomah County or in Washington County, but um, yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about some of the um, certifications that you have and um, and why it's beneficial to your business and to you helping other people preserve, because I think that one of those key pieces of being able to, um, you know, preserve things efficiently and for other people, you need to have these certifications in place. So you mentioned Master Food Preserver. Let's tell people about what that program is. And you mentioned that you did it in Clackamas County, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 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 So let's tell people about it. Great. Yeah. So um, the extension service through Oregon State um, Clack in Clackamas County has a program for master food preservers, which a lot of people have heard of master gardeners, but not a lot of people have heard of the master food preserver um, in Clackamas County. Actually, right now, they're also leaning towards using the title um, family food educator in conjunction with master food preserver, because um, they do a lot of outreach and work helping people understand how to best use um, the food that they have access to, whether that's um, from the grocery store or their garden or a food pantry. Um, and it's not necessarily always about preserving. So they wanted to sort of expand that and address nutrition and things as well. But um, that program through Oregon State, they offer a number of classes for anyone. You don't have to be in Clackamas County, um, although most of their classes right now are held in Oregon City. Um, and they offer classes in food preservation. They also occasionally offer classes in um, cooking frugally or cooking um, nutritious meals with your kids, like getting your kids in the kitchen. So they offer a lot of great services um, through the university. Um, and they work at the a number of the farmers markets that are in Clackamas County, like the Milwaukee Farmers Market and the Oregon City Farmers Market. Um, so you'll often see them there with a booth answering questions. Um, one month it might be about how to make apple cider, and one month it might be about um, you know, canning your strawberries. So yeah, yeah. it's a, it's such a cool, fun program. I, d I did it through um, Washington State University. And yeah. I do have to say, I think it's so weird that Multnomah County doesn't have the right? master, master <laughs> preservers program. Yeah, because I think that there's a lot of people. I mean, I think there's a lot of interest. And I think that, you know, for people like you and I who live in Multnomah County, we have to go outside of our area, which is which is fine. I mean, it's doable, but I think that more people um, would do it and be interested in it, and then would be at the Multnomah County and Portland farmers markets with with good food preserving information because we don't see master food preservers at our um, inner city farmers markets, which is kind of a bummer, you know. Yeah, I know that there's been some outreach, um, at least in past years, like three or four years ago. I know that there were some inquiries occasionally 
from Portland's um, farmers markets about getting master food preservers out, but the, there's such a limited number of folks in uh, the Clackamas group. And many of them live, you know, in Malala or further east. And um, it's a huge commute for them. And so it's hard to get, be able to get enough volunteers to staff all the events in Clackamas County, let alone in, in Multnomah or Washington. So I agree. I think it's weird that it's not there anymore. Yeah, for sure. And one of the great things that the um, that the Master Food Preservers programs do is that, um, you know, no matter what county you're in, you can call uh, a hotline if you have questions and they will answer them for you. And I think that's like a really valuable service that people don't know about. And I tell people about it all the time because I, just because people know that I um, can and preserve, they'll like call me or text me. And I'm like, you know, there's other there's like other resources other than me. <laughs> you know? right. right. Yes. I always try to plug their, their or their website or there are a few other um, um, extension services around the country. You know, there's, there's a different uh, home base in each state and that are, have been offering a lot of uh, online education in the last year. And a lot of these webinars are like, you know, they're free or they're $5 or something and they're open to anybody. Um, so there's a lot of, options out there through the extension services all around. Yeah. So for our listeners out there, if you have any interest in canning or you have questions about canning, just know if you look up extension services in your area, if you're not in Portland, you know, we have, I know we have listeners from all over, but um, just just look up extension services and you'll find the thing for you. I mean, they have them everywhere. I um, met a wonderful woman from Hawaii who is um, a master canner in Hawaii and she came here and um, somehow found me because she knew that I was into canning. And so that was a really interesting like meetup for me because mm -hmm. I realized like how hyper focused like I am on preserving things here in the Pacific Northwest. And she was talking about all these things in Hawaii that she cans and preserves that I had never even heard of before. <laughs> like she was like, oh yeah, my favorite jams to make. I think like Lilikoi was one of them. And I had to look it up. I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> no idea. We have our bubble, don't we? Yeah, I know. It's so cool though. It just means that there's like people that if, you know, if all, if all of the people that are interested in canning got together for some kind of like meetup from all over, we would end up with some really cool stuff that, that, you know, right? each other doesn't really know about, but it would be a great like information trade. And you don't really see that happen. Like you don't have like a master food preservers mingle or something. <laughs> right. I was thinking, how fun would it be to do a canning swap somehow across yeah, I think that would be super cool. Like a pen pal, but you yeah, exactly. but you swap canned goods with other master food preservers. I think that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a there may be a future in that. <laughs> okay. So we know about um your master food preservers and what that is and Mm -hmm. That that certificate of certification. Let's talk about the um, acidified foods and better process control, so we can tell people what that certification is and what that means for you. Sure. So that one I actually explored. Well, for a couple reasons, I guess. When I when I was first establishing Lucky Larder, I wasn't quite sure which direction I was taking it, and I and it I started as sort of a hobby like side business, like this is a thing that I really love to do. And I have friends who are constantly asking me to show them how, and, you know, then it's the neighbor and then my friend wants to bring a friend. And so I'm like, okay, well, I can do this. I have a history as an educator. I have a master's in teaching. Um, 
I love to teach. So I'm going to do this little side project. And, um, and then I started to do the, you know, imposter syndrome thing where I was like, not sure if I knew enough, do I know enough to be able to legitimately call myself a teacher? And can I really go out there and do this safely and appropriately? Um, and, and be a legitimate, um, a legitimate educator of this subject matter. And so one of the ways I wanted to uh, dig deeper in was to go to the acidified foods and better process control school, which again is a, um, it's offered through Oregon State University here at, went down to Corvallis, um, but it's offered in every state and it's a um, short but intense educational program where you basically learn about all the things that can possibly go wrong when you preserve food, when you can food or you bottle um, food. And it's specifically designed for people who are interested in creating a product and taking it to market, which is not what was my plan, but I just wanted to get in there and feel like I really knew the science that I thought I knew. Um, and I'm kind of a, um, I don't know. I like being in school whenever I have the option. I want to, I want to make sure I learn a little bit more. So, um, uh, yeah, so I went down and did that training and, um, took a whole lot of tests, um, and, and got the certification there, which helped me feel like in talking to farmers or, um, gardeners who want to create a product of their own, it makes me feel like I can help get them going on the right track. Um, I'm definitely not in any sort of position to certify someone else's product to be sold. That's not, I don't have that kind of authority, but I can definitely help people work through a, a basic recipe to find, figure out a, a safe approach um, for canning. So that that was kind of like an extra an extra step that I felt like was, uh, made me feel better about putting myself out there as an educator. Yeah. I think it's a great, um, program for people to know about, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are wanting to start a food business, you know, and haven't started yet. So I think it's an important thing. We don't talk about it often, but, um, you know, if you want to have a food product out there, that's an acidified food product, you do have to take this course. If you're going to manufacture it yourself, if you're going to have a co-packer do it or something like that, you don't have to, but if you're going to be part of the process then you do have to do this, I did it, um, online through university of Davis. I don't think that they do it anymore. Um, but there are some online services so people can just look up, you know, acidified foods, better process control school. If that's something, if you're interested in making an acidified product um, to sell, you do need to take it so you can, you can look that up. But I think it's a, I think it's great that you did it because even, um, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of questions or people come into your classes that want to start their own business and you can at least guide them in, into that direction, which is important because we want to make sure that people are certified before they're making product and selling it. <laughs> Right. If, right. if yeah, <laughs> if Sarah Masoni was here right now, she would make sure that everyone knew that and to make sure that food is being made safely and that you have all the right things in place before you are selling it. So since she's not here, I'll do it for her. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's definitely where I direct people. It's like, go talk to the Food Innovation Center. Yeah, that's yeah. Call. Totally. Um, so you mentioned you have a master's in teaching. And um, do you think that helps you with your business now? Definitely. Definitely. Um, I taught high schoolers for about 15 years. 
Um, and I loved teaching. I would probably still be a high school teacher, but I, I sort of lost my patience with the larger system um, and had to find uh, another outlet for that. So I definitely feel like having that experience um, was good. You might think adults would be easier to teach than <laughs> teenagers, but with the exception of the fact that I guess for most of my classes, the people who are there have elected to be there. They signed a piece of paper and they probably paid a fee and whatnot to be there. So that part's that part's good. But um, it's not necessarily any easier when it comes to, you know, classroom management, for example. Yeah. <laughs> really, a really talkative group or, um, you know, there's always a class clown. There's always, <laughs> there's always uh, the similar sort of dynamic, I think, among adults as there are amongst youth, if you have a class that's of any size. Um, but it also has been super helpful in terms of like preparation. I feel um the way I got comfortable as a teacher in the beginning was a lot of over-preparing. And I do a similar thing, I think, with these classes, which just means that I can really try and pack like every possible minute of our class time together with information and activity. And um, I always try and do hands-on classes. I've done a couple of things where it's been more kind of an informational thing or a demo, but I don't get as much out of it. And I'm sure the people in the, in the group don't get nearly as much out of it as when they actually are, you know, putting those lids on themselves or, um, or massaging the cabbage themselves. So um, I feel like, I, I feel like that ex experience in education was definitely super helpful. It makes me very comfortable too. Like I, I hate being on stage as a general rule, but for whatever reason, if I'm teaching a class, I don't have that same stage fright. Yeah, sure. I think that uh, your high school students really just got you ready and made you prepared for anything, probably, <laughs> what, yeah, what you get now. <laughs> Throw at me. What do you got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, before, um, you know, I got into food and, and canning and all that stuff, I was in social work. And I, I find that a lot of people make that move and that switch from, um, I don't, I don't know if it's like, the calmness about it, but that's what even started me, you know, when I was in my super stressful social work job, um, I would come home and can and preserve. And that's, and that's where I really like found this piece um, that I was missing from that job because, and it, it, it does feel like if the, if the bigger system is broken, that's how, that's how I felt as well, mm -hmm. um, that you can kind of just create your own path. And I have found so many, especially women that have um, gone that down that path where they've gone from something that like teaching, um, healthcare, social work. And then when they're ready for something different, they move into this world of food. And I think that it's a nice, um, it's a nice path to follow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I worked in, before I got into teaching, even I was in also in social work. And I think I heard somewhere maybe with an, an interview with you at some point that where you worked for Janice youth for a while. Oh I yeah. For Janice youth in the nineties yeah, and central city concern and a few other places like that. So. Yeah, I work. I worked there for ten years, and then oh, wow. um, also at the uh, Women's Resource Center at PSU Women's Crisis Line. Those kinds of right. kinds of things, and I think it's wonderful work. I think it's a wonderful job. But then I think when you um, when you're done, I think this is a nice transition for people. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and I think it's good to transition when you're ready for something new. You know. 
Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the specific services that you offer to the community. We'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, we are back and let's go through and talk about um, specific services that you offer. Uh, I know you have classes, tutorials, parties, demos, so let's tell people about them. <laughs> okay, well, um, I most commonly, I think uh, my most common request that I get is just for a basic introduction to canning class. That is the number one thing that I hear from people is that they want to try it and they've maybe watched some YouTube videos or they read an article about it or a little blurb about it, but they don't want to do it the first time by themselves because they have a billion little questions that they haven't been answered. Or of course, everyone is terrified of the botulism. So there's a lot of botulism fear. Um, and so I teach um, water bath canning. Um, I teach pressure canning. I teach um, vegetable fermentation. Um, I've done some work with like showing people how to utilize dehydrators to, to make the most out of their, their produce. Um, and I've taught at like Portland Community College and Mount Hood Community College. In fact, I have a class coming up in July at Mount Hood Community College, um, but also at like New Seasons and Whole Foods and at the Portland Homestead Supply, which isn't around anymore, but I used to be able to teach some classes there um, and kind of all over the place. So, you know, I, I typically, um, my classes are typically about three hours kind of come uh, can depend for the like standard classes that are out there in the world for the public. But um, I also do a lot of private in-home classes where people have hired me to come and do um, uh, a particular class for like a birthday party. Or I've had, um, there's a woman who I've worked with a few times who likes to buy like 75 pounds of tomatoes every August, but she's a little nervous about canning them by herself. So I go in and it's a more of a tutorial, but we work through the whole process together. So um, that's most commonly what we're doing. And then a bit of um, like some team building, like for businesses, I've done some of that as well too, which works out a little bit like the birthday party thing. It's mostly, it, there's a bit of learning, but a lot of, and a lot of hands-on stuff, but um, also just a social chance for people to work together in a different kind of format. Super cool. And if people want to see uh, classes that you have coming up, should they check your Instagram or your website or something of that sort? Yeah. Yeah. They should check both. Actually, okay. um, I, I try to post individually on the Instagram page. Um, so you'll see probably I think my post from recently uh, about the Mount Hood Community College class that's coming up in July, but also on my website at luckylarder.com. There's an events link. Um, where that will take you to the various places where you can learn more about those classes and where you can register because some of the classes are being offered through me directly and I'm the primary host, but sometimes it might be the community college, for example. So you need to go through their website to register. Um, Very cool. And, and so most of the classes, do they take place um, somewhere else or do you have a location or maybe a future location? <laughs> 
I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so, so far the classes have been mostly taking pla place elsewhere. Um, I have been looking for a brick and mortar space for the last year or so, and I believe I have one nailed down, but I can't give you an actual address yet because <laughs> the least paperwork is supposed to be to me today, actually. Ooh, that's exciting. So I'm very excited. And trust me, you'll see it all over my social media and my website when I have it. Um, but I've been looking in Southeast Portland primarily because that's where I live and grow my own produce and spend a lot of my time. Um, so hopefully that's coming soon. So I also, uh, to that same end, I haven't, um, I haven't booked a lot of classes for this summer because hopefully this new brick and mortar space will be where my classes can be held. And then I don't have to run around all over town all the time. Um, as much as I will, I'm sure I will still do some of that because I do enjoy doing things, um, in people's homes and that sort of thing. But, um, it'll be more centralized uh, and we'll be able to do some larger classes and some more complex classes because we'll be able to do some continuing series kinds of things, which I'm excited about. Very uh, cool. Well, we'll yeah. stay tuned Yay. to find out more. <laughs> um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about is that you have um, a real passion for gardening. So mm -hmm. can you walk us through what's in your garden right now? Oh my gosh. Um, I pulled 19 pounds of fava beans this morning <laughs> and that's the ones, those, I only pulled the ones from the plants that had fallen over because they got so heavy. So that's, uh, I've got fava beans. Um, I still have, uh, onions and garlic that I need to harvest that have overwintered. The favas were also overwintered. Um, I have a bunch of different kinds of pepper starts in the garden right now. Um, I have a giant fig tree. I have currants that are waiting to be harvested off of two of the varietals that I have, but I have four. Um, blueberries. I've got lots and lots of horseradish, um, artichokes, beets, all of the hardy herbs like your, your sage and your rosemary. I basically depend on them to keep um, the weeds down in areas, corners of the yard that I otherwise don't want to deal with. Um, I've got snap peas, but they're not doing real well. I think we got them in a little slate or something. I think it's the weather, really. <laughs> That'll be good. It could be that. Um, potatoes. Yeah. Uh, I think that might be about it. There's a lot. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a lot. Um, so let's talk about what you're going to preserve with those things that you have in your garden. So um, do you preserve the fava beans or do you just, do you just eat those? So far, I've um, only ever just eaten them, but yeah. honestly this year I, I might have to, I might have to dry some um, and save them, but uh, I've never had a um, harvest quite this big, but the whole reason I have such a large harvest this year is because last year, about this time, we had those three or four days where it was 110, 112 degrees. And I had a huge, um, a huge uh, bed of fava beans and they all just dried instantly over the course of those couple of days. And so they were suddenly just all brown and dried in the shell. Um, and I was like, well, I guess I've got seeds for next year. And I pulled those, but then a bunch also planted themselves, managed to plant themselves or the birds moved them or whatever. So they're sort of all over. They're not in a neat, tidy little space so much this year. Um, so we'll see what I'm going to do with those. I definitely preserve a lot of figs every year. 
and make a whole lot of spicy fig jam um, and a fig marmalade. And I freeze a bunch too, and then use them throughout the year to do some different things. Um, Sarah Masoni has a fig tree and she, um, didn't know she had too, it's not like a huge tree, but she just had too many to know what to do with. And so we did, um, just like a fig vinegar that turned out so good. Um, and we just, you know, just infused the vinegar, blended it up, then strained it out and it made this beautiful pink vinegar. And so that was like a fun way to preserve figs, but without, you know, she didn't want to can, I think it was during that, like a really like hot time or something. So she's like, I'm going to do something easy. So that's what we did. And it turned out really good. That sounds great. That sounds like a great idea. I haven't done that with, with figs and vinegar yet, but, um, but I do, I do tend to get a really heavy, um, uh, harvest from this tree. It's a super old tree. And so I do end up freezing a bunch because it's usually at the end of summer, you know, if you get like a little bit of an early harvest and then this huge harvest in like August, September, um, when everything else, of course, is also coming out of the garden. Yeah. So I end up, um, I end up freezing a bunch and making a lot of um, f- various fig preserves for people for the holidays and stuff when I have time to get back in the kitchen. That's fun. Um, I I think that when I get lots of canning questions, the ones I get the most, and, and I don't know if this happens for you, but it's people that have trees that they don't know what to do with it. So figs is one. Mm-hmm. Um, persimmons is the other one. So you told us what you like to do with figs. Is there anything you like uh, to do with persimmons? You know, I have, um, I have usually eaten persimmons <laughs> as, I mean, if they're, if they are, um, Oh, I get my fuyu and my hachia backwards, but the ones that, that you eat when they're firmer, yeah. um, those, uh, I will typically eat the, the softer ones. I tend to, um, just pull the pulp and freeze them and make like quick breads and things from them. Oh, yeah. I haven't found, I've tried a couple of, um, more sort of, uh, sauces, like sweet sauces and jam things, but I haven't come up with anything that I'm very excited about. So nothing that I would do again or necessarily recommend. (laughs) It's a hard one. I think, I think, um, you know, some fruits, they take so much time to, um, you know, prep that sometimes it's not always worth it. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And what about, you mentioned currants. What do you do with currants? Actually, I, I mostly use currants as um, like a pectin supporter in my yeah. jams when I need the additional pectin. So sometimes with the figs, um, I make a lot of, uh, I've got a lot of rhubarb too. I don't think I mentioned that one. I make a lot of blueberry rhubarb jam and sometimes I'll throw some more, add some currants in there just to add a little tart to the flavor as well. Um so yeah, that's super fun. I just planted rhubarb for the first time. I've never really grown it uh, much. Is that something that you have to replant, or once you plant it, is it it's there it's for there good forever? It's there oh. forever. It's hard. You know the the slugs love it. I've had, we've had a really heavy slug and snail the year. I think everybody has. Yeah. Um, so mine look a little haggard right now, but uh, but yeah, I've got three plants and they're huge. And they're they've been here for nine years now, ten years. Oh, cool. So that's good. It's in, I put it in a spot where, um, just in case it would, it would be good if it stayed there, (laughs) but we've had a lot of slugs too. I think that, um, you know, you know, I planted a lot of lettuce and kale and stuff like that. And it just looks like 
like sticks with holes through it. It all looks really terrible. But now that the sun is a little is out and everything's not so wet, I'm hoping that things like the slugs go away. They melt, they melt into the earth, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Call the birds out. (laughs) Hopefully. Um, well, I also wanted to, um, talk about you living here in Portland. So, uh, are you, are you from the area? Have you always lived here? What brought you here? Um, I moved out here right after my 18th birthday. I, um, I grew up in Montana. Um, and then I ended up coming here specifically to go to college because I had, I decided very early on that I was not staying in Montana. And when I applied for college, in when I was in high school, I only applied to colleges on either coast, like states that hit one coast or the other. Um, and Lewis and Clark College gave me the most money. So I ended up in Portland, Oregon. Never seen it before. Never been to Oregon before. Just put everything in my truck and was like, hope I like it. This is <laughs> going to go do something new. So that's how I ended up here in the first place. That's well, Lewis and Clark is a beautiful campus and place yeah. to be. So I think it was you know, luck of the draw. Cause you could have ended up somewhere else, but it's a great place to end up for sure. And yeah. you must, you must have liked it because you're still here. <laughs> right. It was, it was actually turned out that Portland was a real perfect fit for me. And, um, thinking back on some of the other colleges and other places where I applied to college, I, I'm really extra glad I ended up here because they were definitely much more big city based. Um, and Portland was a good sized city for someone coming out of a smaller a smaller town in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you ended up here and that you're still here. That's a, it's, it's a great, great fit for you. Um, let's talk about who would hire you so that if someone listening is like, Oh, that's me. <laughs> so what kinds of people hire you to come teach them? Um, well, if it's for a private class, it's the most common things I get are um, either people who are just starting gardening or, as you mentioned, people who have a particular tree or a particular, um, in the case of uh, the woman I referenced earlier, a particular food that they want to can, like tomatoes, and she doesn't want to buy them um, pre-canned. She wants to get all fresh tomatoes for her family. Uh, but she's not super comfortable with the process and comfortable doing it themselves herself. So um, I can come and either just do a lesson that is similar to the kinds of classes that I would do, say, at the community college, where uh, we walk through a number of different recipes and talk about the basic structure and basic rules, or we can tailor it to something very specific like tomatoes. And here are things that you can do with tomatoes, whether you want to make sauces or diced tomatoes or Bloody Mary mix or, you know, dehydrate them. Um, And we can talk through a bunch of different processes and uh, look at equipment. I can bring my own equipment or we can use yours if you have things. Um, So that's one is people who are looking to get kind of a baseline to either understanding something like canning or fermenting at an introductory level or who have a particular product that they want to, to work towards. Um, learning how to preserve. Uh, Otherwise, um, sometimes with small businesses or with teams from businesses, like um, I worked with a woman who is a manager of a particular department at a bank. 
Um, and she has a team of 12, which is a great size for doing kind of a, a team building group. Um, in that case, we went to one of her employees' homes who happen to have a really big kitchen, but there are also a number of places that we can rent a kitchen if we need to, um, or I can bring all of my gear to do outside classes. I've done that a number of times in people's yards where um, we've had uh, larger groups and we've done all of our canning at the picnic table with ex, um, with outdoor grills, portable grills and, and stoves. So um, it can be a great opportunity for groups like that or for school teams or um, any, any sort of, I don't know, small group development or small group. Um, I'm not very good with that language, obviously, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, so, um, so that's another option. Um, I've also worked a little bit with farmers who are just starting to poke around with like the idea of offering something that is um, that is a value added product to their uh, to their farm stand for the farmers market. So just starting to talk about like, you know, what are the options given the things that you're growing and what is, has a longer or shorter shelf life, or what are you going to have a harder time maybe getting rid of everything at the time it needs to go so that um, you might have an avenue for creating uh, a new product that might be able to extend the life uh, for the person. If you're, if you put them on the shelf right away for the people who are buying it, or maybe it's something that you can sell in your off season, but when you're at the market, because it came from your farm. So yeah, those are, those are a few. That's great. I think there's um, a lot of farmers these days that um, I, you know, as like some of the previous generations are retiring and new farmers are taking over or new people are taking over that maybe aren't part of a generational farm. They don't have those canning skills kind of embedded in their family that maybe used to be used to exist. So it's um, good that you're there to support those people so that they can sell some value added products at the market. We, um, you, you don't see a lot of it at the Portland farmers market. Right. I feel like um, it's something that that can definitely benefit farmers, but I don't think they always know what they should do or how they should do it. <laughs> right, right. And it is, it is a time commitment. It is a whole other, and it's not like farmers and as a general rule have a lot of extra time. So no. it's something worth exploring, but it's, uh, but it, yeah, there's definitely pros and cons to it for sure. It's not, it's not right for everyone for sure. Yeah. But it's good that you're there for people if they want to like talk it out. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what's a typical work day look like for you? <laughs> well, um, so far I've been mostly doing this, like I said, as kind of a part-time um, business. So when I am prepping for a class or a training of some sort or a tutorial, um, it's a lot of, uh, you know, communications back and forth with either the client or the students um, and, um, a lot of reviewing my, um, you know, my lesson plans and pulling recipes and, um, depending upon what it is that I'm teaching and when is the last time that I taught that information, I might be doing some additional research. Um, just looking at the science, especially if I'm, if I'm doing something like, um, say someone is looking to can, um, uh, 
meats, like they're a, a, a hunter and they want to learn about pressure canning, I might go and see if there's any new information since the last time I did that to make sure that if if we if the science has developed such that there's different um, timing suggestions or um, maybe they shouldn't be canning in a quart jar, they need to be canning in a half pint jar, these kinds of things. So I will, I'll try and double check all of that. So I know I'm going in with good information. Um, the teaching is not as much of the time as I wish it were. <laughs> um, and I spend um, a, a fair amount of time trying to, <laughs> well, I should spend more time trying to figure out my social media and my website and that sort of thing. That for me is a huge struggle. Um, it's not something that I do naturally and it's not something that I particularly enjoy, although I want to, I really do, um, but I have a hard time with it. So uh, I do some promotion stuff that way. And I used to spend a fair amount of time kind of doing outreach to different um, grocery stores and farmers markets and that sort of thing, looking for a space uh, or an audience that might be interested in my teaching. Um, but at the moment, I'm doing a lot less of that. Um, I actually, in in fall of 2019, which sounds like a decade ago now, but in fall of 2019, I had gotten to the point with my business where I was kind of feeling like I wasn't quite sure where it was going because I was working full-time at another job for someone else and was doing this just like on my weekends. And it was um, feeling a little bit like I had hit a, um, not really a plateau is the wrong word, but it had gotten a little bit stagnant. I felt like I was repeating the same things over and over and not really being able to uh, explore new things either for myself or with like a steady group of students um, just because of the way timing worked out. And so I decided that fall that I was going to take the winter of 19 and 2020 off so that I could refocus on my business and decide like, okay, what is it I'm doing with this thing? Um, do I want to try and make a go of it full time? Do I want to set it aside? And I got into it and I was like, okay, nope, I'm excited about this. I want to move forward. And um, then pandemic, like so many other folks. Sure. Um, and so a lot of the classes that I had scheduled for spring, um, ended up being canceled because they were largely through other venues. And that was before people were getting into zoom when everyone was just like, oh, we're just going to cancel everything for now. Cause it'll just be a couple of months and then we'll be back. Um, and then when people started, uh, realizing myself included started realizing that it was going to be a much longer haul and things started going online class-wise, I just, couldn't quite feel the pull to teach virtually. Um, so I instead sunk my time and effort into, into business planning, hoping for the, for the, um, you know, a break in this pandemic business so that I could actually get out there and set up shop uh, somewhere and see people in person again. So I'm hoping that's actually going to happen. One of these days that there, people will be, ready to be in groups again. I'm seeing it happen. I hope it, I hope it sticks around. Yeah. I think that's what we're all hoping for, for sure. <laughs> Anybody that teaches classes or does anything that has to do with events, I think we all want everything to come back. <laughs> right. right. And uh, 
So sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask you. So I like to ask our, our guests what they need from their community. So um, how can we support you in your business right now? Ah, well, um, I would say the easiest thing you can do is follow me on Instagram at Lucky Larder PDX and at Kitchen Culture PDX. So Kitchen Culture is the name that Lucky Larder will be falling under as the brick and mortar opens. Um, so you want to keep an eye on that. Kitchen Culture will also be, in, in addition to being um, Lucky Larder classes, I also have some other chefs um, and other people in the food world who grow food or who teach about nutrition who are going to be coming in to do classes. So it's not just going to be my own preservation classes full time. Um, there will be a lot of other education happening. Um, and there is also going to be a, um, a retail component, not a food retail component, but a kitchen retail component. So it will be new and used kitchenware. Um, and we will have um, a consignment program. So I will be putting out the word for people um, when I start buying or bringing things in on consignment. So that if you've got stuff sitting at home in your, in your garage or in your closet that you um, think belongs in someone else's kitchen, you, you'll notice uh, on, my, on my Instagram page and on the Lucky Lauder website when that um, when those opportunities come up to start bringing things in, because I'm hoping to do that this summer so that we can open in the early fall. I That's a wonderful idea. I think it's very needed. And I think there's a lot of makers who would even just either donate stuff or, or do it on consignment. But I have all kinds of things that are just taking up space in my kitchen, <laughs> but yeah. I've like moved into bigger, you know, needing bigger, whatever it is, right. a blender, a pot, something like that. And then I just put it to the side. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll use this again, but then I don't. And then it just like sits around and I would love for someone else to use it, you know, but right. I, um, I don't always have, I don't want to just like, you know, take it to the thrift store or whatever. But. Right. I feel like there. that's how I feel about a lot of mine too. You know, I get excited about throwing a dinner party and I'll buy some really fancy giant platter and, mm -hmm. and throw my party. And then I have to put this thing somewhere and I don't want to just drop it at a, at a thrift store where it might get lost under a bunch of other stuff or it might get broken or whatever. Like I want somebody mm -hmm. who will use it to take it. <laughs> and so I'm excited about the idea of having a, a used kitchenware store in Portland. So it's coming up. Well, that sounds super cool. I'm excited to see what is to come from you and your business. It sounds like you have some really cool things on the horizon. So we will all follow along and stay tuned and um, be part of this next exciting chapter for you. Fantastic. And my um, last question is just, do you have any advice for people who are currently dreaming up a business? You know, I am, um, I'm a very risk averse person, I would say as a general rule. And I have been thinking about doing this for probably a decade, really, like starting my own business. Um, and you know, in 2015, I did, but I did it like with baby steps. I took a little baby step to try this thing out um, and then found myself sort of floundering around a little bit going, okay, I need more. I need more than this. Um, so I guess I would say if you are able, jump in and give it a shot. Like, um, I wish that I had had trusted myself to do it earlier. Um, and I do, for me, I think having this 
pandemic time and a lot of sort of forced time at home by myself um, was probably good for the introspection and the and the decision. Like, if I'm don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. So I need to just get out there and try it. Um, so I guess that would be my advice. I think that's good advice. And I think now that you have had some time to maybe think about it and figure it out, it's, it will give you confidence in this next thing because you know, you want to do it. You know, if you didn't really, you wouldn't go back to it. You would just be like, well, just go do something else, you know, but now you like, you're, you're with it. So you're in it and, and it, I hope it brings you all of the confidence you need to make your business successful. I'm excited to see what comes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for uh, being on the a guest on the show today. It was lovely to meet you and chat with you. Everyone follow along and, and we will see the future of your new business. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, totally. We record Missoni and Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can send us a DM on our Instagram at Missonian Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisher folk, and ranchers by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.